0: With you to talk Oklahoma State sports, mostly football, a little basketball squeezed in as well. Garen Emig, Tulsa World Sports columnist, joined by Eli Letterman, my friend and colleague on the OSU beat. uh, Back from uh, a nice trip into Arizona where where the Cowboys won the Fiesta Bowl over Notre Dame, getting back into the routine here at home, which uh, means still mostly covering football, but squeezing uh, again in some basketball. Quick reminder, you can catch uh, weekly videos moving forward on TulsaWorld.com with uh, myself, Uh, and Eli on the OSU Beat. You can also catch the audio-only version, if you just assume not see our faces, uh, available where podcasts are made available. We'll have more details uh, moving forward on that. We thank you for your readership and your uh, your loyalty in terms of our content here at the Tulsa World. Um, Speaking of content, Eli, still a lot of football content. Uh, Season's over, but not really. We've got players making up their minds regarding transfers and uh, draft status, Mike Gundy has a big decision to make in terms of his defensive coordinator. Uh, lead us where you want to go. What, what strikes you as most interesting as we move into the official postseason for the Cowboys? Most interesting is who wouldn't want to see these two pretty
1: faces? And <laughs> pretty faces if they and I, I hope people tune into the podcast, but this is this is
0: where it's at. Uh, as far as half the Cowboys the, go. <laughs> half the screen is where it's at, and I'll let people judge which half. How about that? <laughs> As
1: far as the Cowboys go, I mean, there, there's there's plenty of storylines. We're we're not even a week removed from what Mike Gundy dubbed the biggest win in program history, that the Fiesta Bowl win over Notre Dame. Uh, but now we're it's off season into overdrive, and maybe there's not as much going on up here as there is in Norman, um, for instance, and in, and in, in around the college football landscape. But there there are storylines here. Mike Gundy still has to to make a pick on a, on a defensive coordinator a search. He said. He was going to kick in. They kind of overdrive this week now that the season was done. And shoot, I don't know what you took from his comments uh, on that Sunday when he met with reporters after the game. I think this could really go anywhere. Maybe he's going to be yeah. within. Maybe he's going to go, you know, as everyone likes to joke, he'll go back to Shippensburg and find his next Mike Yersich. Um, I, I think everything's on the table there. And then this week we've had um, some transfers, some guys declaring for the draft. Josh Sills is the, the latest, joining uh, Trey Sterling. Uh, as guys with eligibility who, who are opting to, to enter the draft and, and probably leading the line in terms of transfers. We knew they were in the portal going into the Fiesta Bowl, but Tanner McAllister reuniting with Jim Knowles uh, at Ohio State and uh, Jaden Jernigan uh, going to Missouri, where, where he sounds like he wanted a, a place where he could really be the man. So there, there's still plenty going on up here.
0: What, let me let me ask you about the guys who entered the portal and played the Fiesta Bowl anyway. Uh, you mentioned Mc, um, Jernigan McAlister. Was there was also what Hunter Anthony, right? The offensive Hunter lineman Anthony who got in, yeah. Who played one play? The fourth the fourth down uh, it was quarterback. Seat. Play, it was important. We're yeah, number
1: thirty three at fullback.
0: He contributed, uh, and that's and that was interesting. Um, a, I think it, it does. I speak positively. To the fact that the guys did want to stick around, they didn't just, you know, bail. Uh, after they decided they, ended, they entered the portal, they thought, well, let's at least finish out the season, whether I stay or go. And they did that. But I wanted to ask if, um, especially Jernigan and, and, and McAllister, whether they're playing against Notre Dame and in, in, uh, in Glendale, led OSU fans to, a, to a, sort of a false hope, maybe, or false sense of security that they might pull back and, and stay with the program. Did you ever get that feeling?
1: No, well, it's an interesting point. I think uh, if anything maybe led to that as well was Mike Gundy in the lead-up to the to the bowl game saying that these were guys who he was comfortable with keeping on, but in part because may- maybe they weren't they weren't going to the portal because it was a bridge burned. It was see what's out there. And yeah. maybe based on, on how quickly those guys committed, that wasn't necessarily the case going in. But I, I think, as you said, it speaks to, to the culture and, and to this team um, from the standpoint of the players being willing to stick around and and take on those risks. I mean, there was, from a kind of business standpoint, there's no reason that that Jaden Jernigan or Tanner McAllister needed to be out there and risk, you know, whatever their future was going to be at their next school. But they they were out there. and, And to Mike Gundy and the program's credit, you know, he spoke about how these guys had earned it. If it were a different time of year. But were the spring he'd say don't bother don't come to practice because you're not yeah. with us and, and you're not going to be with us but but that he felt that those guys had earned it over the course of the season tanner mcallister certainly earned it as, as one of the the real key guys in the secondary and that's a big loss and then up front Jaden jernigan uh is another loss to it's a deep group up front but he was uh he was pretty strong in that line this year and and had some years of eligibility in front of him so that's a hit and, and hunter anthony probably of those three that participated, and maybe it was telling that he was sort of relegated to the fullback role with a new number, but came up with a big play and, and now he's off to Nebraska. So each of those guys got to have a hand in it and, and maybe for, for whatever is quote-unquote ugly about the transfer portal, it
0: was a nice finish uh, for, for each of those guys to have a role contributing in that game. Let's get back to the the hire that Gundy has to make in terms of replacing Knowles at, at, at the defensive coordinator spot. I know we the two of us and and some of the other media the beat guys on co-cover uh, the uh, the team were curious leading up to whether you wanted to put a lot of stock in it being a for lack of a better term audition of sorts for somebody and we all thought that might be Joe Bob Clements who seemed to be the odds on in you know internal guy to maybe be promoted if Gundy was going to go that route we, we were wondering what difference the result of the festival might make in terms of that uh, do you have any updated feelings exiting the Fiesta Bowl uh, given the fact that the Irish did roll up a pretty big number, both in terms of yardage and, and score, uh, in losing that game? I think the one thing I can say for
1: sure right now is that Mike Gundy is not going to roll into next season with three defensive play callers. I think we can, <laughs> we can be pretty assured in that and that's about it. Um, you know, he it, I, I think if anything what he did was obscure whatever was to be taken from this because he spoke about how that the first quarter, maybe predictably communication was a disaster with, with three defensive play callers. Right. That they just they just struggled with that. And it was a little bit like that was probably going to happen. Um, And it was what happened and they figured it out. Uh, Gundy said he at one point almost, almost went into head coach panic. I don't know what that would have looked like, but um, I'm sure it wouldn't have been pretty. And and so second half, they figure it out. And, and I think, you know, even reading through, what the players had to say post-game. You know, maybe it was still Joe Bob Clements who who had the bulk of the reins. But between him, Dan Hammersmith, Tim Duffy, it was three play callers, and, and this defense figured it out in the second half. And now where that leaves us afterwards, you know, I don't think anywhere closer to figuring things out. Um, you know, Mike Gundy said, he planned to... Uh,
0: did you lose me? No, you're back. There you are.
1: All right. Well, Gundy said he planned to... Uh, maybe we can edit that out. <laughs> Gundy said he, planned, you know, he said he wasn't even sure um you know at, uh, as of last Sunday if he yeah. what he thought about an internal hire or, or what else and maybe he, he truthfully really hadn't sat down and, and considered this decision just with everything else he had to think about um I, I would still say internally Joe Bob Clements seems to maybe be that that front runner if there is to be one um but I I think you know but there, there's really been no discernible pattern in like Gundy's hires in the past and and that may remain the case here. Maybe he goes back. He's had two few former Ivy Leaguers in the past. He's had former NFL assistants. He's brought in power five guys, and he's gone to
0: Division Two Shippensburg. And, and so I think it's kind of just a wait and see at this point. Yeah. You mentioned the day after some of the comments he made to sort of put a wrap on the game and, and the season. I thought the most <clears throat> interesting portion of that was his continued... Rightfully so. He propped the, continued to prop up the result. I agree with him. I wrote the column, uh, and I was going to write it even before he said it, that I thought it was the, the biggest win in school history, even Trumping whenever they did in 2011, which remains sort of the gold standard in terms, in terms of single seasons. It was a big result, and Gandhi is clearly using that as uh, another, uh, another weight of leverage in terms of strengthening the program. And he's not just doing it in terms of brand and, and recruiting and, and opportunities for, for transfers, NIL, whatever. He's doing it sort of internally, is he not, with regard to references to, we need we can take this to another level, as I think the way he continues to, to, to phrase it. And he's speaking to not so much players, recruits, prospects, transfers in his own program. I think he's speaking to his, own, his administration and athletic director, Chad Weiberg and, and university president, Casey Schrum. Uh, Eli, there's no doubt that he, likes working with these people. He's pretty much made that known throughout the season. But he's also uh, savvy enough to realize that he he does sort of have the cards right now based on a 12 win season, a win over Notre Dame. And uh, uh, the, the fact that that as Oklahoma departs, especially OSU has positioned itself to perhaps become uh, the new king of the mountain and, and whatever, you know, whatever make becomes of, of the new Big 12 when if when the four squads of four new teams come come over. Point being, it's interesting to hear him uh, on one hand talk about what Weiberg and Trump had meant to to the uh, university in their short time as, as fully installed administration, and yet at the same time make sure he hears his messages to them about uh, resources and and yeah. uh, if we're going to be big time, we need to, to to spend big time. I guess is is the, way, the best way I'd put it. So what what's your reaction to all of that? I mean, if he's got cards in his hands right
1: now, they're, they're pocket aces. He's, he, this season, if he was going to try to sort of leverage this and and the opportunity that has gone from kind of a dire one when, when OU and Texas decided to leave the Big 12 and the future look murky to now where Oklahoma State stands and then to go 12 and, and two. 12 and two. Man, season's still fresh. <laughs> 12 and two and, and to have, you know, arguably – the the greatest season in program history certainly the best since 2011 um, you know this I I think you're spot on when you say he's savvy enough to know that this is his opportunity with the new administration and he made the call he he's called on as he has over the course of the season um, but uh, morning after that win he, he he went and just said you know this is our our chance if we want to take it and and that's you know he was throwing out some figures of the current athletic budget which is around 90 million dollars and and that's about half according to him, of, of some of the blue bloods across the country, and that if they can make up some of that ground, um, that, that he feels they can get into that conversation. And I think another interesting part of that, you know, whether that happens or not, um, and and I, I think, you know, he's got probably about two of the best people he could have in Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg to maybe get there, um, but is, is where college football is going. Uh, it may be, I don't know if the definition of a blue blood is going to change. You're still going to have Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, where you know whoever's in that real top tier, but in a few years, with, with maybe an expanded playoff or uh, a new, like Big Twelve, that Oklahoma State, at least right now, looks poised to, to at least potentially be at the top of. Yeah, why not? Why? Why couldn't this program and yeah. you know what? I don't know how many years Mike Gundy says he has left. He he, he said he can keep going, and and that his goal is to leave this program a blue blood. Maybe that's his five year, ten year, fifteen year plan to close out here. Um, I, I think there's something that's attainable there. Simply. Um, on, on where college football going is going, right. and then maybe what um, what the university can give this program
0: in terms of resources coming yeah. up. I will say I don't blame Gundy for going where he's gone, uh, especially of late, because you do you do play to your point uh, the Aces while you have them. Uh, at the same time, Oklahoma State will 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 not now, and probably will never. I say probably, almost most definitely, win a bidding war for a defensive coordinator with Ohio State. Right, I mean, if Jim Knowles, if Ohio State wants to pay Jim Knowles twice what he's making at Oklahoma State University now, or next year, or in ten years, or in hundred years, depending upon if there's, you know, life on Earth in hundred years, let alone football, college football, they're going to do it. Right. I, again, I get where he's coming from, but there's also a reality he's going to run into that I imagine that that Weiberg and, and Dr. Shrum may have to remind him every now and then is that we can fundraise all we want. We're going to, you know, pick up every rock we can to see what's what's under it. But uh, you understand, because of, of not just the direction of college football, as you alluded to, but because of of just what's already in play in terms of infrastructure and, re- and just you know embedded resources, Oklahoma State's ceiling uh, is only so high on that. So uh, this this th- there's a reality here that OSU does have to bump into, and it's it's going to become a, a, the worry is. With regard to conference payout in, in a Big 12 without Oklahoma and Texas, we've talked and written about this already a lot in the last six months. Uh, you're you're not going to get richer without Oklahoma and Texas in your conference. You're not going to get more money in an annual distribution. Yeah. You're gonna you're going to get less, right? And and so that's another reality that that the Cowboys must. Uh, I'm sure a lot of them have come to grips with, but but Gundy surely realizes.
1: Absolutely, and you think about if there's a world where Oklahoma State has $1.9 million to for their defensive coordinator, that's probably where a where State has 2.5 or $3 million. Uh, I, I don't think Oklahoma State anytime soon is going to be able to get into bidding awards if can win with those blue buds at the top. And and yeah, as you said, no one's getting richer with with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the conference. I think the Big 12 has positioned itself. We probably agree as, as well as it could with, with who it has coming in and what it might look like. And again, We'll see where where all these conferences stand and who else might come in. Uh, come realignment, more realignment. Yeah, college football playoff expansion. But I I think there's um there's sort of pie in the sky dreams of what can be done. But and then and then there's the realistic end, which is that this program program maybe can go further and and spend a bit more, or raise a bit more money, have those resources that put them into these conversations more often each year, where where it's not once in a decade that you're getting to the Fiesta Bowl and beating Notre Dame, but more of a perennial contender. And, and again, if there's a 12-team playoff, I don't see why Oklahoma State can't
0: be in the conversation on a year-to-year basis. Yeah. yeah, there is a competitive aspect that where OSU has positioned itself extremely well in, and I don't want to get away from that. And I don't want to get away too much from the football aspect of all of this. And, and moving forward, and I want to talk in particular about one player. You, you, t- you led with him in your, your uh, follow story when you got as you, as you were coming home. And I wrote about a midweek. And that's Spencer Sanders, the, the quarterback, who takes an even, to me, more central place on this, on this uh, team moving forward with, with, with the defense in, in a little bit of limbo with, without Jim Knowles now as coordinator and losing some real l- l- linchpins to, to what made them so, so successful last season. And with his uh, seniority taking, I think, an even more uh, defined role, and he's now coming off a career-best game against, of all teams, the Fighting Irish or Notre Dame, he – I don't – Eli, I never get the feeling that he's comfortable with front and center. It just doesn't seem to be his way. But like it or not, he, he truly is now. And, and he will be as OSU approaches to 2022. So what, how do we psychoanalyze how Sanders handles that and, and builds off what he did against the Irish? Well, as he was probably headed into
1: 2021, Spencer Sanders, I think, remains maybe the most interesting story on this team. Uh, and and as you put it, he's he's if he wasn't the guy before, he is now. Because the defense, we don't know what it will look like next year. We do know it's not going to have those faces. You're not going to have Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, you're not going to have Devin Harper. We'll see about the secondary. Colby harvell Peel is back. But the kind of the veteran identity of this team is Spencer Sanders. And, and he certainly launched himself in the offseason. Uh, with the kind of performance that you'd want and you'd, you'd figure the Cowboys would have wanted, especially after that Big 12 title game defeat. Um, and and now it's, I think you go into the to the po- into the offseason wondering, you know, what's next? There's still probably some questions about his consistency and in, in turning the ball over. He had that that pesky turnover at the end of, of the fiesta bowl that, that turned out to be moot, but uh, that, that could have been another one that came back to bite him and it, it didn't. Uh, and so it's, it's what does year four have in store both um, in terms of his performance? Can he can he be even better? Can he look like the quarterback we saw in the second half a whole lot more? But also, can he be that leader? Because I think whereas this year that could be left to guys like Malcolm Rodriguez and uh, maybe some of the guys on the offensive line, as things stand right now, it's, it's Brock Martin and, and Spencer Sanders for me. And I, I think that's maybe where we, we haven't always seen from Spencer Sanders him be that Outspoken, vocal guy, and, and we'll see what what 22 has in store. Um, and I, I think going into spring camp that that remains kind of one of the more compelling questions.
0: Yeah, the, the other one I think moving forward is going to be, uh, what do you what do you, how do you channel what the Cowboys get in terms of production from Brendan Presley in bowl games? Mm. <laughs> how do you, how do you how do you channel that into a, into a regular season? Presley was important. Don't get me wrong. This past year. I do think, though, that the, the fan base expected more. And that's not to put it so much on Presley, as I think, as, as well as on Sanders for getting him more involved on the field, but also Casey Dunn, his position coach and the offensive coordinator for dialing up more to, to make sure that Presley gets touches. And so we'll touch a lot more on this as we move forward. But I, I can almost sense the, 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 uh, the buildup among the OSU base is to that needs to happen in September, October, November and December, not just January. I think it absolutely does. I said something to Brandon
1: after the game. I was like, "You just like playing in bowl games, don't you?" And all he could do is laugh, was laugh because this is two years in a row where he just popped off in the postseason. I think, you know, for him next year, it's it's kind of everything's at his feet, or like you put it, it's at the feet of Spencer Sanders and Casey Dunn as well to make him maybe that top tier guy in in the passing game because Tay Martin's going to be gone, and I don't know that that's a priority position for this for for the Cowboys in in the portal. So you're looking at Brendan Presley and a whole lot of very impressive young guys, freshmen who, who contributed this year, um, but not a whole lot else. I think uh, the goal would be for more Fiesta like performances for Brendan Presley next fall. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, we could talk football for three more hours, but let's, so as not to completely lose track of what, what month it is and the fact that Big 12 basketball has started, let's at least touch on uh, the Cowboys. Eli, you're, you're, I'm I'm certainly playing catch-up. You've been on top of them a lot more. I'm going to leave the explanation to you as to why this team seems to be, just in terms of record and even the way they the, – the, sort of the sloppiness of the game against Kansas the other night, why this team isn't quite what we thought it would be by now. What's going on there?
1: I think it's several-pronged uh, pronged issue. maybe. I, I don't think so – as much as we might have predicted in November that this team could weather the storm – I think there's no doubt that losing the postseason, the ability to play in the postseason just days yeah. before things tipped off, had a, had an impact that even the players have voiced. And, you know, no one's come out and just straight said it, but it's lingered um, over this team and, and who could blame them. Uh, and 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 so I think that that's a factor, knowing that it, before the Kansas game, there were 18 games left on the schedule and no more. There, There's not – I wouldn't say there's nothing to play for because I don't think that's, that's right. going to be said. And the players wouldn't say that, but – there's no postseason season to, to aspire to, or, or, you know, they could round into form those final two weeks of February. And, and then it's, you know, what was that for really? Uh, yeah. So I think that's, that's hung over them. And, and then there's just the element, obviously Cade Cunningham is going to leave a void um, and this team is plenty talented, but I think they don't quite have that, that guy, that go-to guy. They, they, they're missing a shooter. Um And, and so while some, it, it, it's kind of been a case for, you know, you'll see Avery Anderson have three great games and Bryce Williams, Uh, Isaac Likely probably played his best game of the season uh, on Tuesday against Kansas and writing today about, you know, maybe this we're going to see kind of the Isaac Likely we saw at the end of his sophomore year again and and that that'll be big for this offense. But for that one guy to step up and and maybe that won't come. And so this team is, they're just kind of dealing with a kind of number of different issues and, and they've led to, I think, a lot of performances where you see what they did at the end of the first half and you see how good they could be. Yeah, um, but but
0: ultimately it's a, a let off at the end and a double-digit loss to the Jayhawks. Well, this is the, this is a bad year to wonder about you know think, affect things that are affecting a team in terms of a psychology, motivation, whatever you want to say. And and it's it's just a it's a, I mean the penalty that was handed down when it was handed down uh, right before, right as OSC was just getting started in terms of preparing for the season. That's one knockback, right? That Boynton, Mike Boynton's got to weather. But then the fact that you've got to still ride it out. And oh, by the way, you've got to write it out in what is, to me, the, the pretty clearly the, the toughest league in the country. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate right now as to the Big Twelve being the best basketball conference this season. And uh, they, you know, you turn around and you play Kansas, uh, you, you have a, a rough outing. You get Texas as thanks. Uh, if you're not careful, you, you know, you, you make one loss, one you know, sort of draggy performance becomes another, and then before you you, you know what you look up and you gotta play Baylor, you gotta play uh, Texas uh, Texas Tech, which is better than we thought. You gotta play Iowa State, which is much better than everyone thought. You gotta play Oklahoma in Bedlam. Uh, there there might be one or two breaks in there somewhere, but this this is this is sort of a collision is what I'm saying. If if uh, a collision of two really difficult forces if Boynton's not careful here. Yeah,
1: I mean, can you say perfect storm? Two things I left out were, were the fact that this team got got hit. And this is every program in the country at least. This is a possibility, but they got hit really yeah. hard at the end of 2021 by COVID. Uh, they had, I think, you know, it was on December 26th, three available guys to practice. A couple of days later on the eve of what would have been the Big 12 opener that got postponed, they had six scholarship players available to practice. And, and so you got that, and then this opened to, to Big 12 play where it's Kansas and Texas at home. And then because of that postponement on January 1st, Next week is three games in five days at West Virginia, at Texas Tech, and at Baylor. And yeah. and really the, you know, I, I don't think even in a in a perfect year uh, with, without COVID and without uh you know, maybe the postseason ban, you put a look at that and said, You're not shocked if they start one and four, or oh and five. I mean two and three would seem like a massive win at this point to open Big Twelve play. And and again, it's just if you do open one and four or 0 oh and five and you don't have that dangling carrot. If we can pull this together and get to March, you do wonder what February might look like.
0: All right, we'll pick up where uh, we left off next week. We'll see where the Cowboys are if they have uh, sort of pivoted a little bit and tried to deal with this, the, the the rigorous schedule. And we'll obviously talk more OSU football depending upon the changing roster, who stays, who comes, who goes, and what Mike Gundy has done with his defensive coordinator position. It's always interesting. Uh, uh, anymore, We used to we used to put away football. Uh, any, any talk any coverage of it as soon as the bowl game ended that, that just doesn't happen anymore uh and, and uh, so we'll we'll be on top of it uh osu outu and anyone else related uh moving forward eli good to see you again i hope the house was in one piece when you got back from your uh your vacation you want to call it that good to be back in Stillwater. it's really nice
1: to be back in Stillwater. and i'll add one more note um it was reported this morning first by brett Baker murphy but I've also got it on pretty good authority that, that Terry Miller, um, second all-time leading rusher in program history, is uh, is headed to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2022,
0: um, and that's a, a nice bit of news. That's two years in a row that the Cowboys will have someone going in. That's uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I did see yeah. I did see the tweet this morning, and I know that you talked didn't you? You to Terry right on a story in terms right. of running back workload over the course of of this season and Jalen Warren, I think, right?
1: I did. Now I, I texted back and forth with him this morning, and uh, had it from other places. But he was—it's uh, his birthday today, in fact, 66. Oh, birthday. wow! Um, and so,
0: uh, uh, yes, a good day for, for the Miller family. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's something else. We will definitely talk more yeah. about moving forward. All right, uh, for Eli Letterman, this is Garen Emig. Thank you very much, first of all, for reading our material—not just uh, at the FI- with regard to the Fiesta Bowl and the postseason coverage, but throughout this year. It was our pleasure to bring it to you. We'll continue to, in the meantime not just write stories and uh, and columns but crank out uh, video/podcasts as well. Eli, have a good week and uh, we'll talk to everyone then. All right.